Our theme this morning is the fellowship of kindred spirits. And we've come to that passage in Philippians, which is Philippians chapter 2, and we'll be reading from verse 19. And I want to remind you that when Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, he was writing from prison. Philippians 2 and verse 19. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. Then when he comes back, he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has helped me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, a faithful worker and a courageous soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. Now I'm sending him home again for he's been longing to see you and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he surely was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have such unbearable sorrow. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you for I know you'll be glad to see him and that will lighten all my cares. Welcome him with Christian love and with great joy and be sure to honour people like him. For he risked his life for the work of Christ and he was at the point of death while trying to do for me the things you couldn't do because you were far away. In the spiritual realm there is very often a, a very special bonding which develops between people who share a kindred spirit. The distinctive quality of such a relationship is that those involved have an extraordinary passionate devotion to Jesus Christ. This is clearly demonstrated in this passage in Philippians where we see the relationship between Paul and Timothy and Paul and Epaphroditus. And this is a, a classic illustration of this close bonding. Paul is seeking to inspire and challenge the church at Philippi. And he tells them about these two ordinary men whom they know, who because of their focus on Christ, played important roles in the Kingdom Expansion League. So let me introduce you to these two men. The first is Timothy. What sets Timothy apart from the crowd is the phrase which appears in Philippians 2 and verse 20 where Paul writes, I have no one else 
like Timothy, who genuinely cares about your welfare. Then follows a terrible lament. All the others care only for themselves and not what matters to Jesus Christ. This, my friends, is one of the saddest commentaries in the New Testament. Now let's just back up for a moment. As I said, Paul is writing this letter from prison in Rome. He has founded the church at Philippi, you remember, by leading Lydia and the Philippian jailer and his family to Christ. Remember all that in Acts chapter 16. Then Paul left Philippi. The church continued to grow significantly and they now have deacons and elders and ministry. But as we're going to find out in the next couple of chapters, there's trouble in the church at Philippi. There's some division there. There's some false teaching going on. Some bad attitudes are being demonstrated. There's some discontentedness that has has surfaced. So Paul is concerned about the situation as he hears about it in Rome. He loves this church. He started it. He's so concerned he wants to send somebody he can trust on this 600-mile journey from Rome to Philippi to deliver this letter and then explain it to the church and then both encourage and reprove those Philippian believers. Now, as I said, Paul is writing from Rome and there's a large church there in Rome also. But in this section, Paul is lamenting the fact that while there are a lot of Christians in this city and he desperately needs the right person to go and minister to the Christians in Philippi, despite the pressing need in Philippi and the large number of Christians in Rome, there is only one person Paul can identify who is willing to put the cause of Christ above his own personal agenda. And that was Timothy. Now, Timothy did not achieve his spiritual maturity by his own efforts alone or by the mere passage of time. Paul invested in him. He became his mentor. As Paul explains in verse 22, but you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father. He has helped me in preaching the good news. Like a son with his father. The relationship between these two men was both loving and personal and intentional. What kind of things did Paul invest in Timothy. Read through the chapters in the Bible that are dedicated to Timothy's name and you'll get a hint. Here are three samples of the encouragement and stimulus Paul shared with Timothy. Fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you. It was though Paul would sit down with Timothy and say, Timothy, 
you've become a Christian. But you need to understand this, that when our Lord Jesus went back to heaven, the first thing he did was to give gifts to all believers so that the church could maintain the ministry I began on earth. And you have at least one spiritual gift. You possibly have more. You've come from a great heritage. Your mother was a great Christian. But I want you to fan into flame the gift that God has given you. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And sometimes I wish I had the time to sit down with every person in this church and say to them what I believe to be the most important thing to say to a believer. God has given you a gift, perhaps more than one gift. Discover what that gift is. Develop it. Treasure it. Use it. Because if you don't use it, you'll lose it. And if you're not sure what your gift is this morning, as you leave the church at the information desk, ask for a green sheet, which will help you to identify the gift that God has given you. But my friends, if you take one of those sheets and sign it, please make sure that you show it to one of the pastoral team in the church because there are so many people who identify their gifts, but they never get involved in ministry. They never apply the gift that God has given them to his work. Fan into flame. Paul would say to Timothy, the spiritual gift God has given you. And Paul also warned him how tough the Christian life is. Listen to some of us preachers and you think it's all love and joy and peace and easy going and every problem solved. But Paul writes to Timothy, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The Christian life is not meant to be easy. There's a price to be paid if you dare to follow Jesus wholeheartedly To put his agenda ahead of your own will demand great personal sacrifices, as as Timothy discovered. But Paul had further advice for his young protege. Work hard so God can approve you. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Paul is saying to Timothy, if you're going to be useful to God in your life, Timothy, and if you're going to gain his approval, you need to be a good student of the word of God and to work hard applying the truth that you discover. And what was the outcome of Paul and Timothy's father-son relationship? Paul could write to the Philippians, but you know how Timothy has proved himself. He was proud of Timothy. You know how Timothy has proved himself. Paul is saying here, 
There are all kinds of Christians in this city. There are all kinds of people who claim they're fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. There are teachers and elders and deacons. All kinds of people wearing the badge or the lapel pin. But says Paul, I can only identify one man who loves Christ enough to place his agenda above his own personal agenda. And so he utters these amazing words in verse 20, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. Timothy and I have a kindred spirit, Paul was saying. How would you like to have someone so significant as Paul to write your name in the pages of the most read book in the world saying, Joe, or whatever your name is, Joe and I have a kindred spirit. Our eyes are constantly focused on Jesus and because they are, we're putting Christ's agenda ahead of our own. Which means wherever the Lord leads us, we're going to follow. Whatever he finds us to do, we'll be there on the job. Wherever he calls us to serve, we'll be there serving wholeheartedly and joyfully. What an honour it would be to hear Paul say of me, Norman and I have a kindred spirit. I wonder if Paul and anyone else here has a kindred spirit. Or let me put it another way. Do you know of another person who shares with you a boundless enthusiasm for Christ and his mission in the world, whom you sense is a kindred spirit reflecting your own dedication to Christ. I wonder how many of us would be like Timothy, emerging out of all the possible candidates and be heard to say, I'll go, I'll go without compromise, without complaining, with zeal and devotion, I'll go. I'll pay whatever price has to be paid. I'll love those people. I'll serve those people. I'll throw my life away if necessary to accomplish what God wants me to do. No problem. Paul says Timothy is rare. There are not many Timothys in this world. I am praying that there will come a day when it could be said of this church that it's made up entirely of people whose eyes are focused on Christ, whose agenda is set by God himself and none among us would put our own interests ahead of the church but would accept Christ's agenda for his church as our top and continuing priority for the church to work, for the church to function, for you to be a part of a fellowship that is totally engaged in Christ's mission. It's got to be made up of people who submerge their own personal agendas to find God's and then carry it out through the fellowship of the church. It's only when we're bound together in the spirit of Timothy that we can ultimately fulfil God's plan for his church here in Wodonga. 
And if I have to submerge my own personal agenda now and then to do what Christ is asking of me, consider it done. The whole future of this church is dependent upon how many of us are willing to be like Timothy. I'll put your agenda, Lord, before my own. Timothy is commended because he put Christ and his kingdom first, just like Jesus asked his followers to do. Those who do this belong to the fellowship of kindred spirits. But there's another person Paul commends. His name is Epaphroditus. Interestingly, he's a member of the church at Philippi. He had volunteered on the other end to make this 600-mile trip on his own. All the way from Philippi to Rome or from Melbourne to Sydney. His mission was to bring a sacrificial gift from the church at Philippi to Paul. I'm going to read about that in a later study. But beyond bringing this gift from Philippi to Rome for Paul, Epaphroditus decided he wanted to get alongside Paul to encourage him and be a blessing to him. He realised Paul's value to the whole church. So not only did Epaphroditus endure the rigours of this long journey to bring the gift from Paul's friends at Philippi, he drew alongside Paul to share his life with him and serve him in any way he could. So Epaphroditus left behind the comfort of his own home and his own home church. And verse 27 tells us he nearly died in the process. And in verse 30, Paul tells us he risked his life for the work of Christ. And he was at the point of death while trying to do for me the things you couldn't do because you were too far away. Epaphroditus nearly died from some illness. And there are some Bible commentators who think he was so exhausted and weakened by exposure to the weather and by walking this 600 miles that he succumbed to the first serious infection he encountered. In fact, he was so ill, we're told, he almost died while helping Paul. No wonder Paul really loved this man. He writes to the church at Philippi, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, a faithful worker, a courageous soldier. There is a spiritual bondedness here. A true brother. They'd done things together. They had shared things together. They had prayed together. They dreamt their dreams of the kingdom of God together. Paul really loved this man as a true brother. Then Paul called Epaphroditus a faithful worker. He had found him to be dependable, humble, with a servant heart and attitude, not afraid to expend himself in the cause of Christ. This man, says Paul, is a tireless and faithful worker. 
And then he called Epaphroditus a courageous soldier, a term which Paul uses sparingly. There is a phrase reserved for a small group in Christendom who have their eyes so focused on Christ and are so inspired by Christ's example that they're willing to lose their lives if need be to further his cause. That's what soldiers do, don't they? They go into battle knowing it might full well cost them their lives. Paul said Epaphroditus is not only Christ's soldier, but he is a courageous soldier as well. So he says in verse 29, when Epaphroditus comes back to you, welcome him with great Christian love and joy and be sure to honour people like him. Note that phrase, honour people like him. People who go out into battle like Epaphroditus. Christian soldiers who go out day in and day out, willing to take risks, receive wounds, endure hardship. Willing to lay down their lives for the cause of Christ. Paul said to the church at Philippi, those are the people you should honour. Don't worship them, but be inspired by them and respect them. Look up to them. Be challenged by them. As I thought about this and the experience of the years, I reflected that so many churches hold inappropriate people in high regard. So often people who have a strong Bible knowledge are held in high regard, even if they are divisive or self-promotional with that knowledge. Often the affluent ones are held in high regard and honoured, even if they're not good stewards of their affluence. Sometimes it's the celebrities, the athletes, the sports people, or the beautiful people that are held in high regard. Upfront visible people are the ones who are automatically held in high regard and honoured. And Paul says, save your high regard and honours for people like Timothy and Epaphroditus, servants and soldiers. Save your high regard for the men and women among you who fix their focus on Christ and resist the temptation to compare their lives with casual Christians or non-Christians. Save your high regard for those who come before God, receive their assignments and carry them out faithfully, regardless of the cost. Save your high regard for those who keep looking for new ways to die to self and serve joyfully and obey promptly and are constantly looking for new ways to make Christ known. Save your high regard for those silent people behind the scenes who just keep doing their tasks for the cause of Christ without applause or accolades. T.S. Eliot was perhaps the best poet of the last century. 
he wrote a poem play called The Cocktail Party, in which he exposed the superficiality and spiritual emptiness of our time. The characters are the types that make up the secular society to which we belong, or some perhaps would aspire. It doesn't take long in reading the play to discover the lack of purpose in the people who gather each week for the cocktails. Celia is one of the regulars at the party, but one day she leaves the world of what Eliot calls, and I quote, the hollow people, and goes as a missionary into a strange land where she becomes a nurse in a mission outpost. She's a topic of conversation occasionally back at the cocktail party. And they puzzle over what got into her or what possessed her to leave this civilised world that they cling to so desperately in order to give herself in service to heal savages in an unknown land. Then one day the word is received that Celia has died a martyr's death. And for a moment, if only for a moment, the characters realise in her brief life, Celia realised more of what life is really about, more of the real depth of life than they will ever know. How do the Celias of this world do that? Not by looking at people in the secular world climbing golden ladders, or bowing at the altars of materialism and achievement. That woman had her eyes fixed on Christ and it just seemed like something Christ would do. Paul said, save your regard for someone like that. Save your regard for servants and soldiers who are willing to risk comfort and safety and financial security, emotional ease, and even life itself for Christ and his cause. And I know we have people just like that in this church, perhaps more than the average. And I thank God for them as they inspire and challenge me. But we need more. There are still too many among us who call ourselves Christians who seek after our own interests in preference to the interests of Christ. And if that's you, I want to tell you this morning it's Timothy time. It's Epaphroditus time. Time for you to submit all of your life and loyalty to Jesus. It's time to place all that you have and are under his control. Time to tell him you're wholly available and you're not simply giving away to your emotions and singing a song. You really mean it. You're willing to risk your entire life for the cause of Christ. You're willing to die for him if need be. Is there anyone here who would question why we would want to die for Jesus Christ? 
I was in America during the Vietnam War in a steamy rice paddy in Vietnam in 1968. An American military unit was engaged in a bitter firefight with the Viet Cong. A young, a young soldier who was badly wounded was lying in the field exposed to enemy fire. Amid deadly fire, a young man from the medical corps crawled across the field and slowly dragged the wounded soldier back to the ditch and safety. Just as they reached the edge of the ditch and the wounded soldier was passed into waiting hands, the medic was hit by a fatal shot. When the wounded soldier was evacuated back to the United States and recovered, he wanted to visit the family of the man who saved his life. He travelled to West Virginia and sought out the medic's widow and her two small children. As he sat in her living room and watched the two children playing on the carpet, he resolved that for the rest of his life he was going to see that this young woman and her two children had whatever they needed. When the time would come, there would be money for their education. After all, he reflected, how can you express your thanks to the one who gave his life that you might live? That is why I want to leave you at the cross this morning. Look at him there for a moment. That's what Jesus Christ did for you. He gave his life for you so that you could live. What do you owe him? You owe him your life. How can you express your thanks to him who died for you? Do it like Timothy did. Make Christ's agenda yours for the rest of your life. Do it like Epaphroditus did. Be prepared to risk your life for the cause of Christ. Will you join the Fellowship of Kindred Spirits this morning? Let's pray together. Loving Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will help every believer here this morning to make the particular application of this message which is appropriate for each life. For those among us who are already like Timothy and Epaphroditus, may the Holy Spirit say you're doing it. Just keep doing it. Just stay faithful. May there be for those friends a surge of encouragement, that affirmation for the Saviour himself through the whisper of the Spirit you're on track. Keep going. 
Are those who are putting their own interests first instead of the interests of Christ? For those who are putting all kinds of limits on those parts of their lives which Christ longs to control. I pray that the Holy Spirit will give them no respite until they submit totally to Jesus Christ, fully surrendered, (coughs) completely devoted. May we all come to the place of being servants and soldiers for the cause of Christ and earn the right to be held in high regard, mostly by you, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.